4: I am Kevin Riley. I uh, was the president of NBC Entertainment through the uh, entire first chapter of The American Version of The Office. Hello, peeps.
3: Welcome. We're at it again. This is The Office Deep Dive, and I am your host, Brian Baumgartner. Today, you will be listening to my interview with Kevin Riley. Who's Kevin Riley? Why are you interviewing him? I don't even remember his name from the credits. Well, that's true. Kevin Riley was not in the credits for the show because Kevin Riley was even more powerful than that. Kevin Riley was the NBC executive that was responsible for bringing The Office to the air. If it were not for Kevin Riley, The Office would have been canceled after six episodes. Kevin staked his reputation on our show, and he fought for us every step of the way. And by the way, Kevin is responsible for shows, not just The Office. Kevin was a network executive behind such shows as Saved by the Bell, ER, Law and Freaking Order, The Shield, Nip Tuck, Rescue Me. Then after The Office, he went on to develop shows like 30 Rock, Friday Night Lights, Glee, New Girl, Bob's Burgers, The Mindy Project. I'm going to stop. But my point is, we all owe Kevin a gigantic thank you for giving us not just The Office, but also like 90% of our favorite TV shows. So on that note, I present to you the man behind the curtain, Kevin Riley.
4: I love it. Bubble and squeak, I know.
2: Bubble and squeak, I cook it every moment. Left over from the night
0: before. Hey, Hey, buddy. How
3: How are you? I'm great. Great Great to see you. How's everything? It's been so long.
4: Are, are you are you putting this whole thing together? I'm putting this whole thing together. I did together. not know that. I, <laughs> That's I know. fantastic. Uh, yes. I love it. I, you know, I just didn't connect because Ben caught me in between meetings and he said we have a podcast that I realized and then I love that you're doing it. Oh, it's great. actually perfect. Yeah. By the way, I never even connected to this moment. You also have like a great podcast voice oh, too. Have you, you done voiceover over the years? I've
3: done more recently. you can get in there and, yeah. and do what you need to do. Oh yeah, whatever um, you have um, to um, do some no, over. No, 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 you're fine. You gotta do some um I've been told this a while. And it's my cadence mostly of my real voice is that I sound like Tom Hanks. So there's a, no, there's a thing. It is actually true. I know. I've never, I've never, no, now that you say it. Yes. It is the So I have that. Ben describes it as um, a smoky, (laughs) potentially whiskey-laden version of Tom Hanks' voice. Um, But I'll I'll take it, whatever. Um, So, yeah, I mean, we've, it's been amazing i mean so much that i have learned yeah and you obviously so important and especially these early years so i want to take you back so you join fx in 2000 mm-hmm. and you're there through For three through three 2003 active years yeah. right
4: in this actual building which is crazy coming in
3: in this building walking
4: in yeah it this building was a sort of fox outpost it really it was a uh, the new world television building it was really a crappy building. Yes. In fact, uh It hasn't been really improved that much. They it put a little useful. veneer on it. But okay. at the time, I mean, my rug, I had left these beautiful offices in my previous job. My 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 rug had a giant stain in the middle. Oh. There was literally a hole in the wall in my office. <laughs> and I said to the office manager, she said, "Hey, anything we can do. Whatever you need, just let me know and we'll get it for you." And I said, "You know, you think I can get two chairs that match?" And she said, "No, I'm sorry, we can't do that." <laughs> <laughs> so that, that's the, where it was but then things really took off and then the stain all, yeah. stays the sti- t- oh yeah it the did stain stays yeah. um so ben was
3: telling me that you had well nick Grab, yeah was your uh development executive he was. and he apparently was a big fan of the mm-hmm. british version
4: of the office yeah and now when did you become aware of the british version of the office i had heard of it but Nick has always had a good nose for sort of what's next. He was the guy I always looked to. Like, is this song cool? Yeah. Okay. Great. I think it's cool too. You know. Right. And so it was one of those. Okay. Uh, where I had kind of heard about it. I was like, Yeah, I thought this. Thing, I think this thing is something. And he came, I've seen it, been talking to Ben. We can get it, and it's. It. We gotta have it. And now, did you meet with Ben while you were at FX? No, we never did. Okay. Really, what it was is I was in the middle of that transition where. It was three magical years at FX with a lot of things happening. This is on the heels of winning all awards with a shield and Nip Tuck and Rescue Me was being cast. And Russo's first project, Lucky, was here. And it was just a lot happening. And this would have tucked right in. So it was a perfect FX show, but my contract was up. I was in the middle of a lot of negotiations. And and it looked like I'm going back to NBC at this point. And that's when I start talking to Ben because I'm like, you know... Look, I'm not, maybe not staying, but if if I go, I'd like to take this with me out the door. And, you know, wisely, I think Ben smelled the opportunity. Would have made a great FX show, but just from a value perspective, I think he was like, well, that's, that's better. (laughs) That's better. So we kind of then went quiet on it and just sort of sat on it. Okay.
3: So then he started meeting with you Mm -hmm. once you had gone
4: uh, to NBC. Yeah. We had y- kind of wink-winked, like, I'll see you over there. Okay. But I, at that point, then it picked up momentum. I was going. That happened pretty quick, and uh, we right. agreed to take it over to NBC. And you, and you made a deal there. Yeah. So you pick up the pilot.
3: Now you've got to find somebody to run it, and you start meeting with with showrunners to yeah. run it. Yeah. What were
4: your initial instincts about Greg? Well, Greg, he certainly, f- from the get-go, had my respect. I mean, he's in, you know known as a very thorough – for a couple of things. Number one, all those years on King of the Hill. Yes. Which was a show I loved. And I know Greg from everybody I knew respected said Greg was the real deal. And then secondly, Conan, yes. um, who I now subsequently have gotten, you know, known for decades at this point. But I knew that they had come up together and were both close college friends and had comedy background together. And I just, so I don't think we really ever, I don't, that wasn't really ever a sell for me. Okay.
3: Yeah. I wondered if because he hadn't come from, you know, live action scripted, if there was any concern about that or you just met with him and you knew as most people do who meet Greg that, you know.
4: Yeah. It's just that quiet confidence, you know, where, uh, you know, when he says things like same show with 10% hope, you're like, yeah. okay, I think we're think we're good to go here. <laughs> right. That yeah. like mad,
3: like that nutty yeah. professor, but a genius.
4: Yeah. I mean, it, you know, but early on when you're trying to have this give and take conversation, you know, Greg is a man of few words and right. sometimes, you know, kind of just sort of drifts off altogether. And you're, totally. you're kind of left hanging there and you're going, like, totally. uh, totally. okay. Oh. So early on, it took me a while to get the rhythm of, you know, he's not a guy where you're kind of, you know, hitting it back all over the net with some topspin on it. You know? Right. <laughs> like, I think Greg got that. Right.
3: How involved were you specifically, obviously you had final say, but in, in the casting, how involved were you in choosing the people?
4: Well, the the casting is something you ultimately have approval over at the network because it's, it's really everything at the end of the day. I mean, you got to get the script right, but the script right with the wrong casting, you know, you're, you're dead, especially in comedy. And this was a, in some ways, a fantasy casting process because first of all, we were out of cycle you know, yes. So we didn't have to do this in the shotgun old pilot season, lock and load, you know, you've got five minutes to cast it. We had months and months to do it. And I have to say, uh, I don't know how many they went through. I was never privy to how many came in. But all I know is, you know, the trickiest one, obviously, was Michael. And it came down to Bob Odenkirk. Uh, and who was the guy that we ended up casting in? What was his name? Uh, Corelli? Yeah. How'd that work out anyway? <laughs> okay. So. You know, and I'd known Bob back from the Mr. Show days, my former company, uh, Brillstein uh, Entertainment, we produced Mr. Show. And, you know, I thought Bob was a major talent. And by the way, I had a great take on the character, a different one. Right. So my involvement is I saw every audition for every character and they were just fantastic. You know, by the, sometimes this process can be really a struggle. You know, right. someone brings it in and they go, we found the guy. And you look at it and you go, uh, this is this the guy you're talking this about is, this did i get the wrong yeah. tape all right boy i am just not seeing it we had none of those i right. mean every time i was like well that's the guy and then jenna came in oh my god that's her and it was just right from the get-go i think everybody just made decisions and had to nudge it in their own direction and it was a blast and then guys like you you know who were just coming out of nowhere it's like right. where where wait, wait where'd this guy come from this is fantastic right
3: how on board were you with the idea of total unknowns? I mean, Steve had, you know, had Bruce Almighty.
4: I had show. no. Well, he Look, Steve, I had done multiple busted pilots with Steve and okay. several bad series that he had co-starred in or been in. He was always funny. And this goes back to the Dana Carvey show with he right. and Colbert and yes. I mean it was a it's got it's got its own little weird cult following. There was like a Netflix special about it. And at that time, it was like, wow, that guy Carell is funny. And he was always good, but it was always good in a bad thing, you know, or something that was okay, but didn't take off. Actually, during the casting process, when we were considering Steve, Stacey Snyder called me up, he was running Universal Pictures at the time. And that was our sister company, at the feature side. He was doing 40-Year-Old Virgin. He just said, I'm going to send you some dailies. You should see them. And I was like, wow. This is a whole nother gear for this guy. And I, I don't want to say that was what sealed it Because, by the way, at that point, who knows right. what that movie is going right. to do? Right. Uh, it's not like, oh, he's already a star. We'll just plug him in. Right. And then it was just one of those Kismet kind of things where it was just the right move.
2: Asking the right questions can greatly impact your future, especially when it comes to your finances. So if you're looking for a financial advisor you can trust, certified financial planner professionals are committed to acting in your best interest. That's why it's gotta be a CFP. Find your CFP professional at let's
1: If you use paper, you're a human. But if you choose paper, you're a papertarian
3: Okay, so you meet Greg, all these cast members. It gets picked up to a pilot. How was that received at NBC?
4: Well, it wasn't. You know, it wasn't shown widely. Um, David Kissinger was running the studio at the time, was also really an advocate and passionate for this, and he was a co-conspirator with me. But it was still delivered it to me, and I would just say it was very slow. <laughs> I I was like, okay, I can see the show in there, but but man, we are defying people's patience here. Like, editorially, it needed a lot of sculpting. Okay. You could see the comedy. You could see the characters. That was not a concern. Those are one of the biggies is, oh, no, we've got wrong people, or this guy's not delivering. She's terrible. No, that was not the issue. What was working, what was working. But, you know, the narrative was sort of going. And I will say one of the biggest things I had to work with Greg on is, was... Just look in, in network television, you had to get through act breaks. You had to go sell toothpaste in the middle. And so I'd say, you're like, you know, Greg, we just sort of trail off here on these act breaks. And, <laughs> right. you know, we lose the narrative thread. And that's kind of fun. But uh, you know, we gotta, we gotta sculpt this. I think Greg went back, and this is really, I think, where we forged our relationship, because it could have been brutal and I At least i thought it was a creatively fun thing i think he did 14 cuts of the pilot right it may have been 16 you'd have to ask greg but it was double digits and really really and that's where i saw really his true gift that he could find find it and he knew where it was and he could hunt for it and every one it was just sharper and sharper and sharper and you could i could just see it right Wow, and so y- they deliver that. Now we had time, again, had this been done in pilot season? Oh, right. Th- these are the vagaries of the whole thing. Had this been done, even with my support and love, had we had only the time, had this been the usual way pilot season was down, you, you shot in sometime April, you had a, sometimes days to edit, if not weeks, because you had to go deliver it and test it and do this thing, and then boom, and then screen it. You know, sometimes right. many of these pilots are screened off of two cuts. If we had done that, dead. Dead. Just dead again i loved it and i was like wow we this needs work and we had time to do the work so now we were sitting the other part when you were playing the system was you didn't want to be in too early you want to hit a sweet spot when they're dying to see something new and maybe you've got a shot just psychically oh here's something we could be the next thing and you kind of get in there and you don't want to be the leading edge you don't want to be the last one and This thing just sat and sat and sat and sat, and as it got exposed through the system, let's just say there the system wasn't uh, overly uh, responsive. Right. Kind to the. Yeah. I mean, look, the network at that point had. You know, I had started my career at NBC. I was there for six of the great years coming up the heyday of NBC, the great, great things. Brandon Tartikoff ran the network. I remember looking at his office and at some point it dawned on me, I don't wonder if I could ever have that job. And now I came back and got his job and right. I was sitting in his in his office. And literally, uh, you know, I closed the door and I had a moment and I looked up and I, I felt so great and about, and just amazing. I'm sitting literally at Brandon's desk looking at the monitors on the wall. And then I had this sinking feeling that I made a horrible horrible mistake which it was because the wheels were coming off right the momentum had turned i came in telling everybody we need a new breath of fresh air and this place is in trouble and after decades of winning a lot of the ethos inside the building was we know what we're doing right and it was a little like who is this guy and i also didn't learn the concept of corporate buy-in you know when you come into a company really anywhere You know, it's not no different on a team. You know, if a coach takes over a team, you got to win over people's confidence. Like, all right, we'll follow you. We'll listen. You can't just come in. Now, once people are bottomed out and are desperate, you got a shot. Right. But until that happens. And so I came in thinking things like the office, like this is exactly what we need to do. And just a lot of people were like, no, no, we need the next version of that sexy single girl in New York who's lives with some friends. And you're like, no, no, we really don't. There was still this sort of thing that lived on in the building post-Friends of, you know, no, no, we want funny, but they're going to be sexy too, right? I mean, we need that. And that had just made its way into comedy, which was never part of comedy, you know? I mean, comedy was like funny, period. And uh, so that was still a little bit in the wind of like, wait a minute, this is a group of misfits. Right. So this kind of just seemed like the opposite of at least what everyone thought we needed. Right. Right. Well,
3: I, it's so fascinating. The idea of we had this opportunity, we were handed this jewel, this great idea, this show from London, and everybody just kind of wanted to do the best that we could to do something different, which is what you're talking about. You're up against this old guard and and, and people who had done it in a certain way. And Greg was saying, no, we're going to have writers we're yeah, gonna have no. writers act in the show. Right. No, we're gonna yeah. not have a wall that we can move because yeah. we're a documentary, right? Yes, and right. we're gonna hire actors that are not <laughs>
4: that are me unknown. Even the stupid debates over the doc I had to listen to opinions of people saying, you know, Americans associate documentaries with heaviness and Uh, non-commercial, it's just an obstructive format to most Americans. And you're doing a comedy through that format by its nature. And I'm just listening. Oh my God, really? And I'm some of these people, they were professionals, but I'm just sitting there going, what do you know and what the F are you talking about?
3: Right. But how confident were you that it could translate to a broadcast audience? Because yeah, at the time, single camera, mock Mm -hmm. documentary, no laugh track, nothing like that was on network
4: television. Yeah. What I felt... All along for minute one is an office comedy is a staple of television. So yeah, the form is different. The tone is certainly different. The lead's attitude is really different. But at the end of the day, you're not going to look at these going, I don't understand. What, what is it? They're in an office. And I always clung to that all the way through. But that, it's just one of the things I just loved about it. I love the outpost in the middle of nowhere. I love the, the boss who's in this island who is free to just run roughshod over everybody. And uh, Jim, I can't remember the exact line maybe you do in the pilot, you know, where they say, you know, describe what you do. And he's like, well, what's paper products and processing and we move the skids and do that. And I'm just, I'm boring myself. As right, right. Is that for me embodied the whole show? Right. You know, like we, we don't actually even know why we come to work or <laughs> what we really accomplish every day.
3: Right, right. So I was told it was the worst testing show in the history of NBC. Is I don't
4: that... know if it was the worst testing, but okay. it, was, it was bad.
3: The worst testing that maybe made it?
4: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> made it, it was, a season? It was certainly in that pack. I mean, of the ones that made it, it was, it was really down there.
3: Right. So what was the idea behind giving five more episodes? Like, did you have to fight to get those five?
4: Yeah. First of all, and the, at this point, two things happened through the course of the show for me, and I'll give you just the first part. At this point, I'm thinking... I really think the rebuild of NBC is going to happen. And this is going to be one of those pieces. And I looked at the rest of the plate of stuff we had, which was shit. And so it's not like I go, wow, I got 10 other great things. I just said, look, this is going to be a slog, but this is good. This is just good. And we're going to go with, we're going to start with greatness. And. First of all, I have noted this before, but for the way the stupid pilot screening process used to work at these broadcast networks was everybody would fly out and the East Coast guys and the heads of sports and the heads of affiliate relations and sales and research and all the... All the middle-aged white guys would fly out and sit in the room and, you know, tell stories. And then you'd rotate around and screen all the pilots and people would rank them and put numbers on them. And then you'd come in and debate and decide. And you'd have to kind of hear all of that. Now, when things are going well and you have a hot hand in the press entertainment, you go through that process. But they are either not pushing back on you or you have the ability to go, well, that's great, Brian, thanks. Thanks for that. That's fantastic input. And then just go ignore it. Right. But when the network starts to get on wobbly legs and I had not, again, established credibility, people knew me, they liked me, they recruited me for the job. But at this point, I seem to be now uh, advocating for things that don't look like what they're supposed to look like. Right. And this is identified as a problem early on. And so that gave other players more power to come up and say, Let me tell you why this isn't going to work. And then they had the research. Now, so we come out of this pilot screening process and every room is giving it, you know, 10 is the best zero. We're going to give it a 0.5, you know, or, or one, you know, well, nobody likes it except one room. I go down and honestly, it was the only room I was interested in. The room filled with the assistants and the associates and all the young people. Right. And that was the biggest room. Actually, there were like 40 people in there. And I go in and I say, what do you guys think? And I remember the takeaway is this, not only is this the best thing we've done, it's the only thing we would watch that you're making. And it's kind of the only thing we'd watch of what's currently on the air. And I was like, thank you very much. That's all I need to know. Wow. Uh, yeah. And
0: That's- like
4: unequivocally that room was, we are in, even with the first pilot it still hadn't, right. it hadn't even become the show it was. They just could they were in. And I knew it was going to be the young audience that we were going to cling to, but that meant nothing still in selling it. It still wasn't <laughs> right. The five episodes order. And also Greg, look, Greg had made some money on King of the Hill. So he was willing, if he had, if he had fought and said, I want to, he, he cut his rate. He was willing to take the shorter order. He could have stood on principle and said, I'm not doing it. I'm not doing six. And you know, I'm on a hundred cents on the dollar and that, and then it would have been dead. But he he loved it, and he was willing to take the short. And that's really basically all I could cobble out was that initial six-episode mid-season order. Right. I love that story. And, And a
3: side note, I'm sure you don't know this. But, like, on the set, mm-hmm. I was the I was kind of the business – like, the business of television really interested me. So we aired on Thursday nights or whatever, and we would be in the makeup trailer, and I would be going through the numbers and, and giving perspective as to why the numbers might be where they are, how they related <laughs> the night before. But March Madness is on right now, yeah. so it's going to be – like, that was just – that
4: was what interested me. So, Well, there certainly wasn't a lot of good news in those numbers. There that a was the thing. Early you know? on, no. There I mean, wasn't. those first six episodes, it, first of all, the network had very little momentum. You know, if this were still the days where we had big shows, we could have parked it in between. It might have been protected. But at this point in mid-season, the network kind of went from bad to worse during the year. Right. We were beginning to just grind down uh that by the by march is like people have kind of established what they're liking and not liking and we bring the show on and it premiered there were definitely there were reviewers that liked it that i cling to i will say bill carter from the new york times from minute one bill carter said this is the best show i've seen in years and i love it and i'm in and he was a huge advocate for it.
0: Asking the right questions
2: can greatly impact your future, especially when it comes to your finances. So if you're looking for a financial advisor you can trust, certified financial planner professionals are committed to acting in your best interest. That's why it's got to be a CFP. Find your CFP professional at letsmakeaplan.org.
1: If you use paper, you're a human. But if you choose paper, you're a papertarian
3: think that there was any impact, so after the initial six that were given, yeah, originally, yeah, now, the ratings were better that second year. We had well, my they, name is Earl, yes.
4: that show ended up because that show came out hot. We tucked it in behind. I remember, and it was around Christmas time. I literally was like a Christmas gift to me where. And you know we had done the deal with Apple if you remember yes. early on the early yes. iPhone ads or iTunes ads rather featured it in the stores and then Steve had had the movie it hit so I'm saying wait a minute here wait a minute we're getting a little Steve's now becoming a thing and look at that we're at, iTunes is going to be a thing and right. we they like us and we're starting to get little pockets of support and people are starting to talk about it and I remember waking up, and at this point, I'm really beginning to be on the ropes. And I wake up one morning in like um, going into the holidays. Yeah. And the show actually grew. It actually grew. It stabilized. It was a respectable rating. Right. And I, I, I honestly, I think I, I don't admit it, but I, I might have teared up. I mean, I really might have teared up.
3: Right. Well, we were certainly at the time. I mean, when we, it was sort of like this, this confluence of events, as you said, with 40-year-old Virgin um, suddenly there's Apple stores and our pictures are are on these yeah. new things called, yeah. you know, the I- iPod video. And we're suddenly the number one show on iTunes. I feel like from the beginning, you had the foresight that, you know, the way that, that ratings happen with the Nielsen boxes, they're looking at households. Yes. No one's looking at colleges. Yeah. No one's looking at dorms and college uh, students. There was
4: the larger thing of what I felt culturally is it was the canary in the coal mine for where we are today. Look, there's always been a generational turning of the page where, you know, the young people are want the next thing. I could see that happening with just the sensibility. But then something that really the powers that be were passing by is the platform itself, the viewing experience itself. It ended up being a really smart thing. Like, you know what, let's get out in front with this thing that seems to be where it's headed. And that's where young people wanted to see it. Well, also that you... Put it on
3: MySpace the week before it premiered. Like you yes. were already yes. using Exactly. Whatever know,
4: platform we could get it out on and just, or, you know, either legally or illegally. I don't even know where it was getting passed around. Right. Uh, but it was clear something was happening.
3: Right. Um, so you talk about iTunes, yeah. you know, the video iPod on yes. this Christmas episode, yes. and it's the first one that goes over 10 million. There was something else that happened during this time, the the webisodes. Yes, right. the original yes. online yes. content on NBC.
4: Yeah, yeah. And again, we these were early days of uh, you know this webisode thing was starting to bubble up, and some shows were doing them, mostly really pretty lame, to be right. honest. But then ours actually weren't lame. Right. We did the the, the accountants, which yeah. was Oscar and yeah. Angela and yeah. I, um, and, and they were becoming a thing, and and, and ended up winning an yes. Emmy. Yeah. I, which was that was another amazing thing, and so that this kind of content wasn't crappy ancillary thing. In fact, Greg would have now uh, never allowed it to happen because right. he just wouldn't he just wouldn't endorse that. But the fact that you're like, wow, these things are really good, and people love these, and it's becoming a way to stay attached to that. And I just I couldn't. Nobody could have really predicted that that the, the, the changes that ultimately came. The weird thing for me having been at NBC and go back, go back in my heart of hearts I still believed and it is you know NBC I mean network television the year I started in it uh, came or came out here to get into showbiz 1988 if you go back it was the first year that the Wall Street analysts were beginning to declare network television a dinosaur So its death had been premiered because cable was statistically on the rise. Now, obviously, decades and decades and decades of billions of dollars and tremendous cultural impact was created. So I still believed that this platform of NBC, which it did, was still a great place to nurture incredible television. With that said, I think the powers that were there still were believing that it was just one show away from coming back. And in my heart, I said, guys, it's never coming back. That was the thing that I knew. It is never going to be what it was. And you have to find what that new thing is. And this show is built for that. Whatever that new thing is, this show is built for that. But even the tone, the scrappy kind of like bleak looking docu-tone allowed you to then make a webisode out of it some shows you in a webisode and you're like well that's not the drama i watch and that's right so that's a really cheap bad version well this just felt very organic <laughs> They're right. like well we make it the same way we make the show <laughs> right 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 and that felt very viral and very you know of the web and again we were just fumbling our way through but you got the young audience that just knew it and caught on and so that's why it thrived and that's why ultimately the culture and the landscape has caught up for this thing to then just have this next surge of life. Right.
3: So you were talking about, I'm going to show you a picture from August, September of 2006. Yeah, I have the picture in my office. Yeah. And it's it a is. picture of Kevin <laughs> being picked up by Rain and yeah. John. Yeah. Um, and the the look on your face and us winning uh the primetime emmy for best comedy oh my god and what a night huh? and what a night yeah and just your courage to to have stuck with the show and getting recognized now for that must have been pretty special
4: amazing you know that 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 expression on my face is for me because i did ultimately get fired (laughs) so it didn't (laughs) save my job right but i will say that it uh you know, I got into this business. All I ever wanted to do as a kid. I had no idea what it was. I didn't even know how to get in. I didn't even know what I wanted to do. But those are the kind of moments that are rare where you're going, we're doing good work with good people and they're all doing it for the right reasons. And, you know, the like defying the odds and then having that moment of recognition with people who were also then so gracious. Look, I've worked with really talented people. Who Some people are really talented. They're not so gracious, gracious, Right. (laughs) Right. And this was just a really special thing. You know, the the tricky thing about show business is a lot of times, uh, you know, you don't want to meet your heroes because mm, what goes on behind the cameras is not really what you pictured that group of people to be. In this case, I think it really was, you know? I mean, for the most part, I have to say like- A hundred percent. Just,
3: yeah. Yeah. Well, you- The love and respect that everyone who I talk to who comes into this room for you and your fight to keep it on the air, and we all believe being responsible for us having done over 200 episodes, that's a legacy, I think, that, well.
4: Well, it's so, it's, you know, life is full of ironies, you know, and um, I was always proud of it. It did go on to stay on the air, but NBC then, you know, they had, uh, then invited me to no longer do that job. And, uh, you know, there were a crop of shows I put on that I was proud of, you know, the 30 rocks and Friday Night lights were on there. We had heroes. We had a, a crop of good shows that kind of for the next 10 years, you know, that's the thing about the office, you know, the show that they, you know, was going to be a real problem was one of the only things that endured right. that was worth hanging on to through that really brutal time for that organization. right? And, and everyone kind of felt like, wow, great run, great show, let's move on. And then you get this crazy moment in time where that canary in the coal mine really happened, which is the show that was ahead of its time with the young people who said, that's the only thing we're going to watch. Now there's a new platform called Subscription Video On Demand. Right. And it finds its way to that platform. And those people are now in their 40s and there's new people coming up, discovering it for the first time. And this thing has this crazy bounce. It's way bigger now. Oh yeah. Than it was at any Without point on the a show. Doubt. And Without I don't doubt.
3: know if you've heard this figure, um, something like 52.3 billion with a B mm-hmm. minutes streamed on Netflix alone yeah. in 2018. Yeah. And by pretty much any metric that I can figure out, the most watched show in television right now
4: and we <laughs> yeah. haven't filmed yeah. in five to six it finally, years finally finally won the title yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right? yeah yeah it's crazy yeah it's finally <laughs> it ended up in the place where it was kind of meant to be all along kevin thank you again what a blast Brian! Oh, it's great I, to see oh you, man. it's so good it. to see you and uh you. it's great sitting across me i could i could do two more hours oh well thank you so much
3: All right, guys, sadly, we have to say goodbye to Kevin because he has to get back to, I don't know, saving the next best show on television, probably. Now, I have to tell you this I wanted to wait till the end. I had not seen Kevin Riley in many, many years when he sat down with me to do this interview, and I wasn't sure how it was going to go. All right. I didn't know how willing he would be to talk about the show. But at the end, I could not have been happier and more touched by his openness, his generosity, and his willingness truly to go back to that time in his life. Uh, So thank you, Kevin, for taking the time and for being so thoughtful. Um, I look forward to seeing you again very soon. Uh, To the rest of you, thank you for listening. I appreciate it. And we will, oh, I promise you this, we will be back Next week. So come join me. The Office Deep Dive is hosted and executive produced by me, Brian Baumgartner, alongside our executive producer, Langley. Lee. Our senior producer is Tessa Kramer. Our producer is Adam Macias. Our associate producer is Emily Carr. And our assistant editor is Diego Tapia. My main man in the booth is Alec Moore. Our theme song, Bubble and Squeak, performed by my great friend Creed Bratton. And the episode was mixed by Seth Olansky.
0: Asking
2: the right questions can greatly impact your future, especially when it comes to your finances. So if you're looking for a financial advisor you can trust, certified financial planner professionals are committed to acting in your best interest. That's why it's got to be a CFP. Find your CFP professional at letsmakeaplan.org.
0: The journey to a smoke-free future can be a long and winding road. But if you're ready for a change, consider taking Zinn for a spin. Zin Nicotine Pouches offer a fresh way to discover your nicotine satisfaction. Anywhere, anytime. No smoke, no spit, and no lingering odor. Get in gear with the Zen 10 Challenge and enjoy 10 smoke-free, spit-free days for just $5.95. Order online and start your new journey today. Warning, this product contains nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast